Well, hello, welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 236 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, I am so beyond thrilled to speak with world-renowned oceanographer, Time Magazine's first hero of the planet, and National Geographic's explorer at large, Dr. Sylvia Earle. Dr. Earl has a wealth of information about the state of our oceans, and she believes that as environmentalists, ending industrial fishing should be our number one priority. So we're going to get into all of that today. Now, I should say that Dr. Earl is a legend. So this episode is a little bit different than other interviews I've done in the past. I have kept in her dogs barking. There may or may not be a rooster in there. There are definitely some technological notifications that go on, but it's Dr. Earl. We're going to roll with it. We are going to get into my conversation with Dr. Sylvia Earle herself after a quick word from this week's first sponsor. When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Dr. Earl, I am so excited and honored to have you on the podcast. Why don't we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself? You have a wide array of credentials and experience. Tell us who you are, what you do, and most importantly for me personally is how you found yourself so passionate about all things ocean-related. <laughs> well, my love of the ocean began at a very early age as a kid on the New Jersey shore and later in Florida when my parents moved to the Florida Gulf Coast and my backyard was the ocean. So it was quite natural that I would begin exploring as, as a child and ask the questions that most kids would be inclined to ask. I mean, about everything, who, what, why, where, when, how, and I've never stopped. And most scientists never do stop asking questions. And the opportunity to dive into the blue heart of the planet starting at a fairly early age, certainly shaped my passion for always wanting to go deeper, stay longer, and know more. Well, I've always wanted to ask someone this question, and I feel like you're the perfect person. You're a researcher, and so I'm sure there have been 
many times in your decades-long career where you have learned something about, in this case, the ocean, that nobody else on Earth knows. What is that feeling like to be the only person who knows something important for a brief amount of time before you publish it and tell the world? What is that like? Well, exploring the ocean is is always an adventure. You never know what you're going to see, but you know it's going to be good. And it's easy for anyone to make new discoveries. You know, only about 10% of the ocean has been seen, let alone explored by any human. Most of the ocean has yet to be mapped. Finding new things is so easy, and it's always a thrill. We are going to talk about industrial fishing today, but before we do that, we need to get everybody on the same page with regard to why exactly the ocean is important. And I know in Ocean, a Global Odyssey, you do say that you believe that understanding the importance of the ocean is the first step when we think about taking action to preserve it. So we need to know why it's important if we're going to take some action. Tell us, for the average listener who knows the ocean is really important from an environmental standpoint, but doesn't know why, tell us, why is the ocean so important? I had this question directed to me by a young reporter in Australia years ago who said, you know, I don't drink salt water. I don't swim. I don't like to eat fish. I get seasick. So why should I care about the ocean? And it occurred to me in a flash, look, okay, so you don't care about the ocean. Suppose it dried up tomorrow, no ocean. Then what? Hmm. We couldn't exist. Earth would be uninhabitable. Life could not exist. So that's a starting place. No ocean, no life, no blue, no green, no us. But it's not just the existence of salt water in great abundance. It's the living ocean. And it's not just an ocean with life in it. It's after four and a half billion years of fine tuning, we have a planet that works in our favor owing to the actions, mostly in the ocean, of organisms that have generated the oxygen in the atmosphere, complemented in more recent times by trees and flowers and other green things on the land. But the heavy lifting began and it continues. Photosynthesis in the ocean, generating oxygen, capturing carbon. If you were a smart human being, you wouldn't want to disrupt that system. You'd want to say, ah, my life depends on being able to breathe. My life depends on a favorable climate, the temperature just right for my existence. It's the living ocean that shapes climate, weather, maintains planetary chemistry within, and temperature within a range that is suitable just right for us. 100 million, 200, 500 million years ago, Earth would not be hospitable for us, but it is now. And it's taken us only a few decades to significantly unravel those basic systems, the natural systems, land and sea, 
that underpin our existence. So when ask some people why they should care about the ocean, they say, well, mmm, delicious, I love seafood. Or I love to go sailing. Or I love surfing. Or I love swimming. Or whatever the reasons are, just even the aesthetic appreciation that many have for the joy that they they derive from being close to the ocean. But the fact is, the most important thing we take from the ocean is our existence. Full stop. When the ocean is in trouble, and it is, we're in trouble. Let's talk about industrial fishing, because you say that ending industrial fishing should be our number one priority. Tell me about that. Look, clear-cutting of forests and burning natural forests has tremendous consequences to climate. Saving forests, embracing forests, planting trees, the Trillion Tree Project is catching the imagination of many to give back, to hold the carbon in the ground and to maintain the mechanisms that capture carbon and sequester carbon and pass the energy along through food chains to the birds, to the insects, to us. In the ocean, we've we've neglected where most of the action is with respect to the carbon cycle. It was exciting to see blue carbon make headlines. This is the greatest carbon capture and sequestration system on Earth. It's been that way since the beginning of life on Earth, I suppose. But for sure, we can see now clearly that by taking hundreds of millions of tons of ocean wildlife, we're talking whales, sharks, tuna, krill, shrimp, squid, poor squid, octopus, you name it, out of the ocean, that carbon gets released into the atmosphere instead of staying in the ocean. And along with it, the underlying mechanisms that give nutrients back to the phytoplankton and to the seagrass meadows, to the mangroves, to the kelp forests and other benthic algae that are part of our life support system. I don't know why it, it should not be so difficult to see that our existence really depends on these natural living systems that make Earth distinctly different from everything else in the universe. Our existence really depends on respecting nature and doing everything we can while we can to protect what remains of the last wild places on the land and in the ocean and to restore what we can of what's been lost. Well, when we talk about industrial fishing, there are a bunch of things that we should discuss. We should talk about overfishing, which is altering the food web, essentially, right? Overfishing species to the point of extinction. There's the habitat destruction. I should also say I had no idea how fish were actually caught on a grand scale. I had no idea that there was something called 
blast flashing, where essentially dynamite is tossed into the ocean and then the fish that die come to the top. I had no idea, talking about habitat destruction, I also had no idea that there was a thing called bycatch, which is fish that just happen to be at the wrong place in the wrong time and are killed. And so I'm trying to bring this back to the average listener who is likely concerned by this conversation. What can the average listener do, in your opinion, to help preserve our life force, the oceans? Fishing is very wasteful. If you saw the film Forrest Gump, (laughs) you might remember the scenes where the shrimp trawler goes over the side, hauls up this mass of life, dumps it on the deck, and they scurry about taking individual shrimp and putting it in a bucket, and then everything else gets shoveled overboard. The ratio of what is killed to what is kept for shrimp fishing and other bottom trawling can be as little as 10% that is killed, 90% kept, but more often it's it's the other way around. You keep a little bit and you you toss the rest of it overboard. Bottom trawling is terribly destructive and terribly wasteful. Not only are you killing most of the creatures that are brought out of the ocean, but you have killed, like clear-cutting a forest, you set things back for decades, centuries, millennia. These systems take a long time to assemble, a remarkably short time to destroy. Places that are accessible get trawled and trawled and trawled over and over again. So the likelihood that they will ever have a chance of being restored are slim to none. One of the greatest efforts or or actions that can be taken is to simply eliminate bottom trawling as a means of taking, but we need to go beyond that. You should want to know, who is it? What is it that I'm eating? What am I putting into my system, my personal life support system? We should be asking that question, whether it's a vegetable or an animal. What is this? Where did it come from? How old is it? What, what's, what's in it that I either want to be a part of me or that I'd rather not have this as a part of me? Any of you who have become addicted to eating seafood, <laughs> I, I mean, I understand. When, when you don't know, you, you can't care. But I urge you to just be like a child and ask questions. Hmm. What I hear you saying there is that step one for all of us as consumers is to ask questions. And asking questions is, of course, the first step to becoming more intentional with any choice, but in this case, with our eating choices. So we're going to talk more about industrial fishing, about the health of our oceans, and more specifically, I want to talk about fish and human health, how a diet heavy in fish relates to human health in 2021, almost 2022. We're going to get into all that with Dr. Sylvia Earle after a quick word from this week's sponsor. 
Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com sustainable. Love where you live. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. And we are back with world-renowned oceanographer and author of the new book in collaboration with National Geographic called Ocean, A Global Odyssey. We're back with Dr. Sylvia Earle. Dr. Earle, I want to talk to you about a diet that is heavy in fish and seafood and its relationship to human health. We've been told that fish and seafood are they're great sources of protein, They're by and large healthy for human health. I'm wondering if that's still the case. There's mercury, there's nanoplastics. I'd love to talk to you about all of that. And I want to talk about how a diet rich in fish and seafood impacts human health because I do feel as though for some people, probably not the people listening to this podcast, I must say, I'm preaching to the choir here, but for a lot of people, helping the oceans is just not concrete enough of a reason to restrict their diets in whatever way, shape, or form. I feel as though many people on this planet, many human beings are self-centered and that they need a reason that hits close to themselves, hits close to home before they're ever going to think about getting intentional about their diets. So talk to me about seafood and human health we really don't have knowledge about the impact on you of what it is that you're putting on your plate (laughs) and into you. We're beginning to understand that eating fish is not so as healthy as many proponents say it is. 
because of what we're putting into the ocean that winds up back in the food chain. Everything from nanoplastics, they're down to plastics that have broken into pieces so small that they're at the molecular level, mercury that is derived from burning coal, especially. The older the fish and the, the longer they've lived, for one thing, but the more other small fish that they have eaten in order to become the big fish that they are, the greater the concentration of whatever we've been putting into the ocean that you really do not want in you. We are subject to marketing, marketing wildlife taken from the sea, like marketing cigarettes, like marketing a lot of other things. We think it's good for us. Well, be like a child, be like a scientist, ask questions, look at the evidence, and then make your own decisions about what to eat. You hear that we, I do at least, <laughs> that we must continue to commercially extract ocean wildlife because so many people on the planet either depend on it for their protein or their animal protein, but how much of this is choice and how much of this is need. I suggest that there are coastal communities and island countries that truly are largely dependent on ocean life as a source of sustenance. But overall, the wildlife that is extracted from the ocean, even by coastal communities and island countries, is not directly consumed for sustenance, but is turned into money. We're talking about livelihoods, not, not food security directly. So tuna are, are too valuable to consume locally. They reach the international marketplace that goes across the planet. And I, I think we need to rethink using fish as money or squid or any of the other creatures that we take from the ocean in the ocean, we don't think of fish as wildlife. We think of them as, mmm, delicious. <laughs> or it's fun to go out and kill something. It's, it's learned behavior and learned appetites that, that once you see and know and understand, there's a chance you might think differently. Hmm. Speaking for the seafood eaters, what I would think they would say as they're listening to our conversation is that seafood is the last truly wild food, perhaps. But I think you would argue that when we're blast fishing and using sonar and radar, it's, we're using our oversized intellect. And so then the fishing is not sustainable. No, no, we're mining. We're mining the ocean of life and it's not recovering as fast as we are taking it. You might hear otherwise that you look for labels that say sustainably fish. Well, I ask you to look at the evidence. What's sustainable? To lose 90% since the middle of the 20th century and continuing. I mean, if, if you level off at 10% of what existed a few decades ago, that's not really sustainable. A healthy ocean isn't one that just ticks along, barely turning things over. 
healthy ocean is an ocean that is not in a state of decline. And we are continuing to see the nutrient cycles dismembered as we take these large quantities and large segments, especially the large predators out of the ocean. We are just disrupting a, a system that is highly connected, everything connecting to everything else. So you take the, the tunas, the swordfish, the, the, the sharks out of the system, you've broken critical links in the nutrient cycles that a healthy ocean has developed over a very long period of time. Well, your answer there really brings us full circle to something that you said at the beginning of our conversation, which was that as human beings, we have the power to annihilate, but we also in our toolbox have the power of restraint. And care. And care. And care. Yes. Dr. Earl, where can my listeners learn more about you and your work and where can they find Ocean, a Global Odyssey? Well, you can check out National Geographic, of course, where I am um, explorer at large and Mission Blue, the organization that I started some years ago to identify critical areas in the ocean, like critical places on the land to be embraced with care. So the book, Ocean, National Geographic Ocean, A Global Odyssey, it's available, I hope, in bookstores around the country and and around the world, but you can certainly find it on the internet where books are sold. And I would be so pleased to take you on that journey, dive into the ocean, as I have tried to do in that book. Well, I just need to say about Ocean, A Global Odyssey, what a book, right? There's the amazing photos that we all come to love and expect from National Geographic, but there's also every single piece of information about the ocean that we would ever possibly want to know. I mean, how comprehensive is this book? It is the perfect coffee table book. I personally, I loved the hope spots that you put in. They just left, I mean, it can get heavy (laughs) reading about, you know, all these environmental issues as they pertain to the ocean. But the hope spots really spoke to me. So I just want to thank you so much for putting this research out into the world for people who know nothing about the ocean, such as myself. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Earl. I enjoyed every second of our conversation. Well, one thing that I hope people will take away from Ocean of Global Odyssey is a keen desire that they won't resist diving into the ocean themselves. Go check it out. Listeners, I so hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Sylvia Earle, world-renowned oceanographer, Time Magazine's Hero of the Planet, and National Geographic's Explorer at Large. I have linked to her nonprofit, Mission Blue, in this week's show notes. I've also linked to her newest book in partnership with National Geographic, Ocean, A Global Odyssey, for anybody who's interested. I wish everybody who is celebrating Christmas in two short days a very merry one. I will be back next Tuesday where we are discussing how to add more space into our existing homes without 
adding more space, without adding an addition or without packing up all our stuff and moving. So how to add more space without adding more space. We're going to talk about that next Tuesday. Have an amazing week. Happy holidays and take care.